Amen. Um, good morning, everybody. Midtown, welcome uh, to our second ever live stream uh, service. I'm going to say, I'm gonna, we're just going to keep counting them, right? Our second, our third. No, it's good uh, to be together this morning. Welcome home churches. Uh, if you're worshiping together in a home church, that's awesome. If you're just with your family, that's awesome. If it's a bunch of kid towners, that's awesome. If you're all alone, uh, I would encourage you, you are not all alone. Uh, it is good for us to be gathering this morning and worshiping uh, together with people, other Midtowners from all across uh, the city. And uh, it's January, and so uh, in January, we said this last week, January is a time where we often uh, revisit our vision uh, for our church, uh, which is really just what we believe is the way that we articulate and live out God's vision for his church in the word. And our, desi our, our desire, um, we said this last week, was that uh, everybody would be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our, our mission statement is gospel transformation through multiple congregations, that the gospel, the love of God for us in Christ Jesus would transform every aspect of our lives. And so our prayer is, our hope is, our desire is, we're working with all of our energy, with the, with the hope and the belief that, that we want to mature in God's love for us in all these different areas of our lives. Because we believe something, Paul believed this, uh, that mature people in Jesus Christ, they change the world around them. They, they, they affect everything that they touch, right? So last week, we talked about this first area of maturity, spiritual maturity. And how do, we, how do we begin to spiritually mature is this, that I mature in my love for the Lord and my relationship with the Lord by first maturing in his love for me. It, it's it's the, the start, the finish, and everything in between that God's love for me, it, it encapsulates it all. But when I spiritually mature, I actually begin to do something else, and that's what we're going to talk about this week. I begin to emotionally mature. It's a desire that we have for our community is that we would be an emotionally mature community. And what that means is, is that we would mature emotionally in and from a gospel-centered love for myself. That I would actually grow to love myself, all of me, love all of who God has created me to be as he loves me, with the love that he has for me. It's like what we just sang a second ago. I am who you say I am, not just what my emotions say that I am, right? I learn to love myself for the reasons that he loves me. So if we're going to talk about emotional maturity, uh, let's just start really basic and talk about what are emotions. And of course, uh, in the time that we have this morning, I'm not about to give you an exhaustive definition for all of this, but emotions are a big, uh, beautiful, integral part of who the Lord has created us to be. We are emotional beings. We all have emotions, and we all have a relationship with our emotions, uh, Inside Out, that, that film from Pixar, if, if anything, it taught us that. We all have a relationship with our emotions, right? And our emotions have a big impact on how we experience and how we navigate our lives. Sometimes they have too big of an impact, right? But we believe that all of our emotions are a gift from the Lord. And yeah, I said all of them. Some of us have emotions that we say, those are the not allowed emotions, right? And these are the loudest. Scripture teaches that all of your emotions are a gift from the Lord. And so understanding them and why he has made us this way is essential 
to journeying into emotional maturity, and that's our desire. We want to mature in our emotional health as a church community because we believe this, that emotionally healthy people change their worlds and or emotionally unhealthy people set their worlds on fire. And some of you know that firsthand, right? So to get, get at all of this maturity stuff, spiritual maturity and emotional maturity and relational maturity and social maturity, we've been camping out in 1 Corinthians 13 to help us in this maturity journey because uh, if I have a bad relationship to me and to my emotions, that's gonna affect how I experience my relationship with the Lord and other people, right? Why I love me, why I love me will affect my ability to experience God's love for me and how I love or withhold love from others, right? Or to others. So I'm asked Janie uh, to read some of the verses from 1 Corinthians 13 now, and then we'll, we'll jump into this emo- emotional maturity a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. All right, let's, uh, let's remember the context because uh, I, I argued last week that this is a wildly famous but wildly misunderstood passage because it's only read at weddings and it really doesn't have anything to do with a wedding. The context is this, remember, this is a letter that Paul is writing to a young Corinthian church that he has planted and he is, he is pleading with them, he's fighting for them, he's writing them because he wants them to be a healthy uh, mature, remember there in the, at the very end in verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. He's saying, I want you to become a very, very healthy, mature, leaving childish ways behind church in a very, very hard, childish, in many ways, Roman world. It was a church that was full, the the Corinthian church was a church that was full of spiritual giftedness, right? People who were completely capable of all sorts of amazing things, right? God was moving in this church. They had insight. They had wisdom. They were speaking in tongues and had all sorts of social concern and were making massive sacrifices from the poor. But Paul was challenging them that all of that stuff was happening on the surface but that it could all possibly be done from the wrong place and from the wrong reasons, right? And not from a place of love. All of these things were happening in the church, these powerful, spiritually gifted things. But instead of those things unifying and building up the body, instead of those things unifying and building up the church, it becoming a healthy body, it was leading to all sorts of jealousy, all sorts of conflicts, 
all sorts of comparison, all sorts of power and value struggles within this church. And the church in Corinth was starting to actually look more like the world than this counter-cultural force of God's agape love for them and love for the world. And when I say things like, and, and you know, this is why there, you know, where it talks about, you know, love, you know, it, where is it at here? I'm trying to find it. In real time, it doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't envy, right? When I say things like jealousy or envy or comparison or pride or boasting, when those things are the marks of a community, it would be really easy to see that there's a lot of emotions involved when those things are the realities of that community, right? That's why when Paul says in four verses four to seven that love isn't this and love is this, Yes, he is personifying love. He's saying this demonstrates who God is and his love for us. It's, it's who God is towards us. But he's also saying at the same time, you don't have this sort of love for one another. He's exposing their lack of love. He's rebuking them in their lack of love. Love isn't easily angered. Love doesn't delight in evil. Anger, right, and delight, which is another word for joy, Anger and joy, those are emotions. Envy, right? Envy has emotions attached to it, doesn't it? Because when, we when we're practicing envy in our relationships, there's underneath that, there's emotions of sadness or loneliness or fear. And doesn't pride and boasting have, have joy at the center? But my joy is, is being found in the wrong thing, Right? You see, love, the love that Paul is talking about, love expresses itself in and through emotions. And so we have to look at our emotions to often discover what we love and why. And just as the Corinthian church was being called by Paul to spiritually mature, I want you to remain and live in God's love for you. Just as they're being called to spiritually maturity, he understands that that spiritual maturity will begin to affect their emotional maturity. It will trickle down, right? You can't have one spiritual maturity without the other emotional maturity. They affect and they reflect one another and they really dance together. Um, Calvin, John, not Hobbes, right? Uh, both very important and formative. Uh, John Calvin, who's a French theologian, uh, 16th century reformer, he wrote this, this massive four-part book called The Institutes of Christian Religion. Um, not a light read, uh, probably not something you want to tackle in January. But in his Institutes, he starts his whole book, this massive book with this. He says, nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one proceeds and brings forth the other is not easy to discern. Joined by many bonds, which one proceeds and brings forth the other is not easy to discern. There's a dance. So this, this gift of emotions, they help us learn about who God is and experience him, but they simultaneously, our emotions show us who we believe him to be and ourselves in that dance. And a big part of what Paul is, is trying to get the Corinthian church to see 
he's trying to confront in them is this, that their individual sense of joy, that emotion, their individual sense of gladness, or their individual sense of sadness or their sense of inferiority, which is, is like saying their, their fear, right? It was all built upon, it was all flowing out of, it was all rooted in these unique gifts that God was dispensing on the church and, and what they could or couldn't do within the church and within the culture, right? You speak in tongues, but man, I can't speak in tongues, right? So I'm not as valuable as you. Or you have wisdom, but I don't have that wisdom, so I feel inferior to you. Or you make all of these sacrifices. You're, you're, you're a social justice animal, but I don't do all of those things, and so I don't feel good about myself. Or I do all those things, and so I feel really great about myself, right? These things... The ways that God was moving in their lives, they had become the basis and root, the things that they were doing for how they felt about themselves and one another. I love me because of these things, not because of God's love for me. Right? They loved themselves. They loved themselves and others for all the wrong reasons. And I would argue we do this all the time. And a lot of it's because we misunderstand our emotions. I love myself for all the wrong reasons. I feel certain ways about myself, joy. I feel good about me, right? Not because of God's love for me, not because of his grace to me, which would birth humility, not pride. I love me because of how I compare to other people. If you've been at Creve Hall uh, before, I've probably told the story <laughs> Too many times, but when I was a when I was a kid, um, gosh, I probably was six or so. My brother was in junior high, and they had this award ceremony where they. This was back in the day where they didn't give you like little certificates. They actually got like trophies of like baseball players, even though it was a trophy for like math. Uh, it was like you know you're the best math person, but it was like a person you know catching a football. But anyways, they had this eighth grade ceremony where. Uh, they were giving student of the year in all these, you know, these areas. And it was just straight up old school. Like if you had the best GPA in that area, you got the trophy. Well, my brother was the smartest kid in the school. And so he won student of the year in every subject that year. So much so that the janitor had to go get extra boxes so he could carry his trophies out to the car after the ceremony. And I remember as a child, my mom asking me, hey, Dan, Dan's got to carry one of the boxes of trophies. Would you carry one of the boxes? And so literally like in a world's strongest man competition, this little five-year-old frame buckling under the weight of my brother's achievements walked, <laughs> walked out to the car. And I remember looking down into that box of trophies and literally thinking as a five-year-old, you better figure out what you're good at right now because this is what gets you love. This is what establishes how you feel about yourself is if they give you trophies. What are gonna be your trophies? That was what was going on in the Corinthian church. I've got the trophy of tongues. I've got the trophy of wisdom. I've got the trophy of social concern. Those are my trophies. That's what establishes how I feel about myself. I feel good about myself because of that, because I'm better than you. And Paul is saying that thinking, that's the thinking of a child. That's immature thinking. That's playground, kickball thinking. That's not gospel-centered thinking. That's not gospel maturity. And eventually, it's going to backfire on you. 
And many of us know that, right? When those things that were so great for us, then all of a sudden became not so great for us, I didn't know how to feel about me, right? Well, at the very end, I'm about to invite Randy up here in a second because he's taught me about this about as much as anybody, uh, and I'm going to have him um, do a little bit of a dance with us up here. The very end of 1 Corinthians 13, how do we, I think Paul said, like leans us into how could we actually begin to stop living that way and begin to emotionally mature, right? And he talks about this, Janie read this. It says, where there are prophecies, there will cease. Where there are tongues, there will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. He, he starts by talking, he's t- saying, all this is going on in the church, and you, and you guys are leveraging a lot of that for all of the wrong reasons, and you're doing it all from a place of emotional unhealth, right? But eventually, those things are going to cease. Prophecies are going to cease. Tongues are going to cease. Your wisdom and your knowledge, that's going to fade away, right? It's all, it's all going to fade when Jesus comes, right? I mean, Randy and I were joking about it. Not all of you have got to receive the gift of seeing yourself on television in a high-definition camera. It's a real treat um, because <laughs> I tell you what, uh, you see yourself in one of these cameras, you go, do I really look like that? And the answer is, is yes, you do, right? It's, it's all falling apart. It's all fading away. I mean, I'm working hard to keep this. But gravity, y'all, gravity, I mean, it's just dragging me down, right? He's saying it's all going to fade away. And then he pivots and he says this, when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear, right? When completeness comes. Or he says, you know, we see things like in a mirror, but, but eventually we're going to see someone face to face. Or now I know in part and then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Who, who's completeness? Like, that's a pretty cool nickname, right? I'm completeness, right? Who's the one who fully knows us and fully loves us? Who's the one that we were made to and our hearts long to be face-to-face with? It's the one who personifies love. It's the one who, Paul says, love is this. It's Jesus. And remember when Jesus was leaving his disciples in John, he says this. He says, good for you that I go right now. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan or alone. You're going to have the first fruits of that face-to-face experience right now through my Holy Spirit. I'm coming to you, right? I'm coming for you, and you can have a taste of that now. So the dance of emotional maturity, it really begins... When, when completeness, when the one who knows me and who loves me, who really truly knows my heart, him, when, when I come and I come into his presence, knowing that my emotions, they're just a part of who I am. They're not the totality of who I am. My emotions don't tell me the truth. They invite me to bring my heart to him who knows my heart fully, completely. And he takes those emotions by the hand and he leads me to a place of understanding. Because those emotions, they don't define me. His love and my relationship to him does. So Randy, 
We're, tr- we're trying this. This is live. Randy's going to come up, and I'm going to invite him to talk a little bit more about that dance or that process. I think he's going to talk about the emotion of fear and how do, how do we invite that in and, and walk with the Lord. So come on. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Um, just really appreciate all the hard work you've been doing these last uh, nine months for our community, Dave. It's really a joy to be on this team with you. And this is a fun topic for me to talk about because it's kind of like growing up with no ice cream and then being in kind of an ice cream factory and you can't get enough of it because um, this whole idea of having emotions and them being something that's beautiful in my life was really void for a lot of my life and maybe for years too because I grew up in a culture and even a home where there were categories of emotions. There were good emotions and then there were bad emotions. I mean, the good emotions are obvious. They're happiness and they're joy and they're those, those emotions that everybody likes to see you in. Um, those bad emotions are those emotions like fear or loneliness or sadness. Like you could go to school, you could walk into school, you could even be angry at school and people would be like, yeah, okay, he's passionate about something. Uh, if, but if you walked into school and you were sad because you had watched Old Yeller the night before and you just couldn't shake your own mortality, people just couldn't grasp that or understand that. And so growing up, you kind of had this idea that uh, those bad emotions, if somehow I could bottle them up and I could, I could kind of push them away and I could limit their access to my life or limit their influence on my life and I could run to these other good emotions like happiness and joy and fulfillment, that's where life to the full is to be found, not over here. And so a lot of times we spend time taking and bottling up all these emotions we categorize as bad and we stuff them out of sight, out of mind, and we do that in a lot of different ways, which we don't have time to talk about this morning, but um, and we try to, to foster all these good emotions that we're missing out on emotional maturity. And that whole idea of emotional maturity, maybe a better way for us to say it here is emotional maturing. I'm not sure any of us ever get to the place where you say, I'm fully emotionally mature. I think only Jesus was ever that on this earth. But one of the ways that we move, well, two ways that we move to emotional maturing. One is to acknowledge that emotions are from God. He made us this way, that we serve a God who's emotional, and these emotions are gifts from him. And the second thing for us to understand uh, as we grow toward emotional maturity is that those emotions, as we recognize them and see them and acknowledge them in our lives, they have a gift for us. They want to speak to us. So I want to I just take one of those emotions that we typically put in the category of bad and let's talk about how it could possibly be good. And I want to talk about fear. I want to talk about this emotion of fear because for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, fear was that emotion that we always saw as the unwelcome you know, intruder into our lives. In fact, a lot of us have created a life around heroes that are fearless. We, you know, the Avenger movies or whatever, Wonder Woman, she, is, she has no fear, no fear. She's amazing. Like, none of us would be excited about a Wonder Woman who is just constantly struggling with her own doubts and fears. We love this fearlessness because it kind of tells us that maybe somehow, some way, I could orchestrate my life to where I would not have fear. 
But what if fear is a gift from God? What if suffocating fear, what if silencing fear, what if stuffing fear down actually causes us to miss out on the fullness of life? It actually allows us to miss out on the beauty of who God made us to be. For example, Scripture says that the beginning of wisdom is fear. Fear the Lord. And remember when we did the wisdom series last year, we talked about that, that wisdom is the artistic ability to see beauty and to create beauty in the midst of chaos. In fact, what wisdom does is it creates us into artists. And we are those who bring beauty into the world that we live in. And what if fear is bringing me a gift and that gift it's bringing to me is wisdom? And that wisdom is turning me into an artist. Let me explain. So fear is our response to danger. Like fear is our response to a threat that's greater than what we feel we have the capacity to deal with. So if a two-year-old came up to me and started spouting off all these threats, you know, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to take you out, you know, and you're going to hurt, I would laugh because I would not typically see a two-year-old. Some two-year-olds are very scary, especially if you're a mom. Uh, but typically that would not threaten me. But if a 25-year-old mixed martial artist, an M&A like champion was coming at me with a baseball bat and said, I'm about to take you out. Trust me, I, I would be in great fear. I am no match for an M&A, and I am no match for a baseball bat because he's got my baseball bats outnumbered. He's got one, I got none. It's a serious threat. And let's just pause and laugh about that for a second because now we have to talk about what are the serious threats in your life. What are the things that are coming after you that are too much for you? You don't have the capacity to manage them. If you're single this morning, being single is too much. I'm just going to tell you right now, I would never want to go back to being single. If we had time this morning, I'd bring Dave up and I would interview him. Would you want to go back to being single? It's a hard thing to be single. I mean, you think about the fact that when I was single, eHarmony was like the only dating access tool you could have. And now there's 1,500 apps on your phone. But if you're not single, maybe you're married this morning. I'm telling you right now, marriage, it, it's too much. It's, it's scary. Marriage is more than any of us can handle. Or if you're a parent, if you have not come to grips with the fact that parenting is more than what you're capable of handling, it's like an M&A expert coming at you with a baseball bat. Or debt, if you have debt this morning, or you've lost your job during COVID-19, or COVID-19, or the elections, or the protests, or the storming of the Capitol, or maybe you don't get enough sleep. Maybe you haven't slept well in six months. That's too much. Or maybe, have you ever tried to lose weight? Do you know that losing weight is, is more than we can handle? It is so hard. For those that you do it, man, you are champions. For the rest of us, it is hard. It is hard to stay in shape, as Dave said, gravity. Or if you have parents, they're too much. They're just, it's just too much. Or trying to be successful because you're tormented with the constant fear of failure. It's too much. And we can feel fear in everything. And if we're honest with ourselves, maybe fear is what lurks in the shadows of everything that I do, every role that I play, and every part of my life. How is that a gift from God? 
Well, fear is the one thing that the Lord sends to us to teach us that we're not enough. Fear reminds us that we have limits. And those limits are a gift from the Lord because now fear becomes an inviting emotion. Because when I realize I'm not enough, then I turn my face to what is enough. And it turns my face to the Lord, that he's enough for me. But it also turns my face to you, to my community, to the people that I want to experience intimacy with. Fear now becomes that fire alarm in my heart that I need to reach out to my community and to the Lord. Fear is the one thing that gives me the capability to say the most difficult word in the human language. Help. Help. Fear allows us to experience our need for help. It allows us to experience the power of us being vulnerable enough to people around us to say, I need you. Fear is the one thing that allows us to experience the strength of the Lord. Do you know, even Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, and we could say a lot about this. I'm about to wrap this up because all I'm doing today is inviting you on a journey this year to begin to see that you've been given every emotion, that they're good, and begin to explore uh, your muted heart. Begin to go as an explorer into this beautiful thing the Lord has given you. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he's talking about his own sufferings and his own limitations. And he says, but God said something to me. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And why is it that our weakness actually taps us into strength? Why is it that when Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong? Because in our fear and our weakness, it taps us into the strength and fearlessness of our God. It takes me to something outside of me. It takes me into community with those around me and also the Lord. Like, I I think about... Uh, if you pray, if you've been praying during COVID, and if you don't pray, it may be because you've not gotten in touch with the part of you and they need something outside of you to come into your life. You, you may not be praying because you don't know how to say help. And understanding your own fear may be the first step in praying. And you know what, in Philippians chapter 4, it says, when we finally say help, when we so- finally let fear generate this cry that I'm not enough, It says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding comes and guards my heart and my mind. So I'm not sure who first told me this. It may have been Chip Dodd. Uh, It may have been a number of other books that I've devoured because I just love this topic because I think it's the invitation for us to be fully alive. I don't believe that you can become spiritually mature without becoming emotionally mature. I think it's impossible. And if fear is the inviting emotion, it's the emotion that we have forgotten. Because if you're a parent, you know when you hear help at 2 o'clock in the morning, something's happened. Is that your little child who has woke up in the middle of the night and realized there's a monster in their closet. And they're so terrified because they don't have what it takes to face monsters. And they're crying out for the monster professionals, which are mom and dad. And they're crying out immediately. They don't care that you've got to get up in three hours and go to work. They don't care what's going on in your life. They just know that they're afraid and they need community immediately. And there's no kid on this planet that has to be taught that. We're all born with that, but we outgrow that. And emotional maturity is growing back into that. Growing back into a childlike faith that realizes that fear now is the inviting emotion to where I cry out help to my father. But it also, I cry out help to you. 
and to each other. Dave, I want to bring you up because I could say a lot about that, but that's all I have to say. But, uh, bro, take us home. It's clearly not all he has to say, is it? Uh, it's awesome. Um, well, I would uh, I just encourage you. Um, Randy just kind of tapped the pinata there. Uh, he didn't take a full swing and look at how much poured out. Uh, and so I'd encourage us, Midtown, um, would you join us uh, on the journey of, of maturing spiritually and emotionally and relationally next week and socially? And um, would you learn how to or be willing to do what Randy just said, uh, which is uh, stop shaming that word help. Um, because if you heard what he just said, emotional maturity, it depends on or it begins with who do I invite into that emotion? Where do I go with it? And many of us, many of us uh, invite the wrong people. Um, people who just fuel that fear and that misunderstanding rather than help bring us to the Lord. And so I'm gonna pray for us uh, and invite us as we go to worship now um, that that worship really would be a time where you let him uh, draw you near and you would invite him into whatever you're feeling right now and saying, Lord, meet me in that place um, because our maturity begins with him. All right, so let me pray. Lord, thank you uh, for these words. Thank you uh, for the wisdom, uh, Lord, uh, that only you give about our hearts. Uh, you know our hearts better than we know them, Lord. And yet oftentimes we spend so much time, like Randy said, uh, either shoving those emotions down and, and ignoring them or giving them the, 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 you know, the hands on the driver's wheel um, rather than, than just simply like children crying out to you and saying, help, this is what I'm feeling and this is what's going on. And would you... Would you be with me in that place and would you guide me in that place and would you give me wisdom and understanding in that place? So we turn to you now, Lord. In worship, uh, we quiet ourselves because you quiet us with your singing, right? Quiet us with your love and rejoice over us with your singing and may that um, strengthen our hearts uh, as we look to a lifetime of growing uh, in our, our emotional maturity and in our relationship with you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.